Let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Psalm 25, our scripture reading for the day. Psalm 25, we'll not read the entire psalm, but only the first seven verses. Psalm of David. Hear now the word of God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are, my God, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What would you think about these words being spoken at a funeral? In the final analysis, Don, bless his soul, got just what he wanted. Or how about this one? Let's just say Linda got just what she wanted. Now, whether that's good or whether that's bad depends on one thing, doesn't it? What's it depend on? What, right, what it is that they really wanted. That could be the worst thing you could ever have said over you at your funeral. Don got what he wanted. Or it could be the best thing that anybody ever said at your funeral. And, and David is, is saying in a very short, terse, Old Testament way. He's saying, what you want most in life affects what you get. What you really want most in life has a big effect on what you get. So it kind of comes down to what it is that we want. And, uh, and it is also very terse, the way he puts this. Old Testament doesn't mess around. Sometimes, you know, you just get right down to it. And, uh, and David is saying in Psalm 26, if we want anything more than God and a relationship with God in our lives, it will not deliver meaning for us and it will end badly. Let me say that again. If we want anything more than a relationship with God in our lives, it will not deliver meaning for us, and it will end badly. In Psalm 25, there's an important Bible term, and we find this throughout the Scriptures, but we particularly find it in the section of the Scripture called the Prophets. And, and the, the, the term is being, quote, put to shame. You know, the prophets would say, if you don't turn from evil and turn to the, the grace of God, Israel, you'll be put to shame. And Israel was put to shame, and then they would turn back to the Lord, and they would be put to shame. Put to shame. Now, what does that mean? In, a, in, a, in, in English, American, we say the words put to shame. We think of the, the, the concept of feeling ashamed. You know, you, you, you will feel ashamed. And, and, you, and you might feel ashamed when you're put to shame. But the Hebrew word here literally means to be put to shame is to be disappointed and defeated. That something you trusted in didn't come through for you. It was a massive disappointment and a massive defeat. 
I want you to look at verse 3 of our text. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Isn't that beautiful? No one whose hope is in you, O oh God, will ever be disappointed ultimately or defeated. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. You know, I was a good old southern boy, young person, uh, mannerly young man. I was, as we say down here, I was raised right. I had good home training. And, uh, you know, I grew up and, and I just wanted out of life what you're supposed to want. I wanted out of life what I was taught as a good old southern boy to want. I wanted to, to make good grades and, and get a good job, to make a good living, to have a good family, to do all the good things that we, we all love to do. Let me tell you something. It didn't work for me. And I won't go into the details, but God, and when I was 19, brought me to the end of myself and brought me to the understanding that that wasn't going to work because that's living for me. And the night I put my trust in Christ, and if you put your trust in Christ when you were four years old, that's actually better. You didn't have to go through what I went through. I mean, you took all your wretched little four-year-old sin and trusted Jesus and were thoroughly forgiven and made new. Well, I was almost 20, but I was reading Psalm 25. That was one of the passages that God used in my life that particular moment. And for me, it was the beginning of a, of a new life. And it was the end of shame. It was the end of ever thinking that ultimately I would ever be disappointed. And my life would ever end in defeat. And I knew God forgave me because Jesus had died on the cross in my place to to take the penalty for my sin. He took the penalty. All I got was the forgiveness of God. I got a relationship with God. I, I knew that the Holy Spirit had come into my life. And I knew that I had a future with God. And I knew that future, because God holds the future, would be good. But I have to tell you, along the way, 48 now, I've had to re-examine what I really want. And there have been times in my life, and I, I bet in your life, even if you've walked with Christ, that other wants have risen up. And you've had to discover things that you begin to want more than a relationship with God. And I, I've had to repent in my life at different times of the rise of other things in my heart and get healing from the disappointment and the defeat, the being put to shame that those have brought. So I ask you the question this morning. Really, it's David asking you the question, what do you really want? What is it that you really, really, not, not what you would say, but what you really believe will make your life and what you're really trusting in? David shows us what it looks like to want God the most. Two things he shows us, that, that wanting God more than anything is about worship, and that wanting God more than anything is not just about worship, it's about walking with God. It's about worship and it's about walking. Wanting God first is about worship. Look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Worship is all about 
our coming to God and acknowledging who he is and trusting in him. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in the Lord will ever be put to shame, but those will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. To lift up my soul to someone or something literally means, it's a Hebrew way of saying, I'm bringing my whole self. To you, O Lord, I bring everything I am. And and I'm only going to bring it to you. I'm not going to bring it to anybody else or anything else. All those things will find meaning when I bring my soul, the totality of I am to you. Remember, this is Psalm 25. Remember one psalm back. "Who Who can stand on God's holy hill? Those who have not lifted up their soul to an idol. Now it's to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. When we love God the most... One of the ways we'll know that is, is, we, is, is we say to God, you're the one. I bring my life to you. There's nobody else that, can, that can, can lead me the way you can. There's nobody else who loves me the way you do. And there's nobody else worthy for me to bring my entire soul and all my life to. It, it is a beautiful thing to bring your soul to God, isn't it? I mean, we live in a fallen world. This is hard life. Just go to the Lord and say to you and you alone, you're the one, I'm, I just, I'm banking everything on you. And I love you more than anybody else. You know, it's not just the best thing to do. It's not just the right thing to do. It's such a relief. It's such a gift through Christ to know God and to bring, be able to bring our lives to God. David mentions several times in this psalm that he is under incredible pressure. I mean, evil men are seeking to kill him, pursuing him. Everywhere he turns, there's difficulty. And, you know, it, it, and, and that's very appropriate because it is, is it not, the pressures and the difficulties of this life that basically surface who we're really trusting in. That's what make, just brings it just bare, just naked and bare, that, that whether we are trusting in God and running to God and worshiping God or not. Now look at verse 2. In you I trust, O my God, do not let me be put to shame or let my enemies triumph over you. My trust is only in you. My hope, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. I am going to trust you for my life right now. And I'm going to bank my entire future on you. Every expectation, really, about where my life needs to go, God is going to be on you. And do you know, only a believer in Christ can really have any hope for the future. I mean, all this, I'll do this, and it'll turn out well, and I'll, I'll you know, connect with this person, and that'll make my life. That is sheer conjecture. But God alone holds the future. And if God holds you through Jesus... And you're able to bring your whole soul to him. You alone, O oh God. I'm, my trust for my life is in you. I am banking everything, my future, on you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Let me ask you this question. What is it that you really want in life? Now, is it a relationship with God? 
I think it's a great question, is it not? You ask me that question at different times in my life, and if I'm, if I'm honest, I'm going to answer you and say, you know, this week it hadn't always been a relationship with God. I mean, I don't know what it is that you want more than anything that's captured your heart and your attention. I mean, it could be something trivial. It could be something huge. I mean, you, it could be something as trivial as, as, you, as, as to simply wanting the new iPad more than anything in the world, you know? Or it could be wanting, if you're a single person, a relationship, wanting a relationship more than God himself. That's what's going to make my life work. It could be material abundance. If I just had the money, then my life would be good. Or it might be status through houses and schools and cars. Is that Jackson, Mississippi or what? Give me a break. Houses, schools, and cars. That's the idols of our city. They won't deliver. Isaiah 42, 17. Those who trust in idols. Those who say to those idols, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Will be deeply disappointed and defeated. Wanting is worship. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, oh my God, I trust. My hope is in you. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. It is a beautiful thing. Wanting is is worship. But secondly, wanting is walking. David shows us, you see, that this isn't just a mindset about God. Like, I'm, I'm saved. I know Jesus. So that click, I got it. This isn't just the way I feel about God. This is actually a life with God. See, God doesn't bring us to himself just so we can say he's cool, he's this, he's that. He brings us to himself so we can actually walk with him and he can actually make the difference in our lives and the Holy Spirit and the the truth and he can actually change us and make us agents of change in this fallen world that desperately needs real love, desperately needs unselfish service and, and sacrificial demonstrations of the love of Jesus, desperately needs truth. It's a relationship. That means it's daily. Relationships are usually daily. That's why I deeply resent people being called friends on Facebook who you don't even know. But that's kind of the way it is with God sometimes. Oh, yeah, he's my friend. Got it? Click? No. Wanting is not just worship. Wanting is a walk. And I, and I want us to quickly look at how David's life of bringing his soul, his trust, his hope to the Lord flows out in a life of walking with God. And before we get started, you need to know this isn't a have to. This is a get to. This is a need to. This is the grace of God for me and for you. First of all, David seeks guidance daily. Look at verse 4. Show me your paths, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my Savior. And listen to these words. And my hope is in you. Do you see it? All day long. This is daily. This is who I am. I, you guide me. David seeks truth daily. Look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. We cannot survive without God's truth. If we follow our hearts, if we follow the opinions that we hear, we will be disappointed and defeated. 
But God's truth will never lead us astray. It is, it is a, an incredible blessing that God actually hadn't said, Hey, I know you now. Good luck. God actually will guide us. God will teach us what is true and we can discern truth from error. It's huge as far as a daily walk with God. Three, God, uh, David loves God and de- develops love for God daily. Verse 10, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who keep the demands of his covenant. You know, I read keep the demands of his covenant. I'm thinking about the Ten Commandments. I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff. That is not saying that God won't love you and you don't really love God if you don't perfectly keep the Ten Commandments. What, what did Jesus say summarized the keeping of the law? What did he say? The lo- just love. Love. What this is saying is, is that... Is that David is saying, is, I know you are faithful, and God, I want to keep the demands of your God. I want to love you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Four, David repents daily. Like me and you, David wanders from God. David sins, and, and David repents. Look at verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, for it is great. You know, you'd think he'd say... For, Haul off and slap those people down. Their iniquity is great, and I'm, a, I'm the good person. David knows better than that. He says, oh, Lord, I want to be guided by you. I want your truth. I want to love you, and I desperately today need your forgiveness because I have a relationship with you. By the way, any relationship that you have is going to require forgiveness every day, is it not, for there to be closeness. Five, and lastly, David fears the Lord. He has a deep sense of, of awe for who God actually is in his life. Verse 12, who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. Isn't that great about the, the kingship of God, the sovereignty of God? God will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He's, he's all striking He will spend his days in prosperity. That's not just about money. And his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. This is that really cool King James version. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. As he reveals his covenant to them. What does that mean? The secret of the Lord. And the revelation of the covenant I'll tell you what it is. It is God whispering in our ear, I love you. I promised. I won't fail you. You keep having, you keep calling me great and trustworthy with your life, and I'll keep whispering in your ear, I love you. And it's going to be okay. All leads to, to intimacy especially when people are threatening you, that that great God whispers in our ears, I love you. So wanting is not just worship, bringing our trust, our hope. It is, it is walking. There was a survey that came out this, week, this very week from Lifeway Christian Resources, uh, a survey of 1,218 to 29-year-olds, um, Generation Y, they're called. By the way, don't feel singled out if you're in that generation because the general population reflects pretty much these things as well with a few minor differences. Um, but here's what the survey said. You ready for this? 72% of people 
18 to 29-year-olds say, quote, they are more, catch this, spiritual than religious. Now, in the, within the, the, the evangelical Christian church, we say religion, that's kind of a bad thing. We're like, oh, that's works and not grace. That is not at all what is meant by this survey. That's not, just put that out of your head. This is whether you just simply have a feeling about God or whether you actually are pursuing him. doesn't even say which God. In other words, whether this is really important enough to you for it to have any daily ramifications in your life. 72% says, this doesn't affect my daily life at all. I'm just spiritual and not religious. 65% never pray with others. 80, uh, 40% almost never pray at all. 65% rarely or never attend worship services. See, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Uh, 67% do not read any sacred text. That's almost 70%. It's not to make anybody feel guilty, myself included, but this is to point out the inescapable truth that, that, that wanting God more than anything is walking. It's not just a feeling we have. It's not just an arrangement that we thumbs up. It's a life. It is a life of the grace of God and the guidance and the direction and the repentance and the forgiveness and this whispering in your ear at all times. It's going to be okay because I love you. I'm the covenant-keeping God. It's beautiful. Have you ever noticed outside these buildings they call armories? I don't know if I've ever been inside an armory. I think I ever went skating one time in one of those. I don't even know what they're for, to be honest with you. Somebody can tell me afterwards. Um, but I just know there's tanks out front, you know, or there's like a helicopter on a stick, or there's this, there's this like F-series fighter on, on a stick out there. In fact, we were going down to the men's retreat, had a great time this weekend, and down in Florence, right there in front of a park, I think, I don't even think it was an armory, there was a Sherman tank. Really, I mean, painted, looked look, look great, Sherman tank. You know, now I'm, I'm a, a male, so I kind of like tanks and helicopters and, and destructive fighter planes and that type of thing. But I tell you what, when I, when I ride by those things and I look at it, you know what I think? And I think that some of the women might even think this. It reminds me, because most of them are World War II or Korean War era things, it reminds me of, of, of a time of, of power and victory of the mobilization of an unstoppable force called the United States of America. That's what it reminds me of. But you know, if somebody were to attack Jackson, Mississippi, and we were going to have to defend ourselves, we'd say, oh, we got tanks, we got, we got helicopters, we got planes. You go jump in, the, jump in that tank and, and hit the switch, what's going to happen? Nothing. You know Why? Because that tank, it, it doesn't even have any intention of having any purpose in real life. That tank's for show. That's a, that, that, that tank is just for show. And, and I'm going to tell you something. This is, some, this is the way I feel sometimes about Christianity and the way Christianity, and those, those numbers back this up, by the way. This is not just Joseph Wheat's feelings. Please hear this. The way Christianity is going in our country, it's there but is it the real, powerful, daily relationship with God? 
It's like tanks in front of the armory. They're there, they're beautiful, and they're for show. Judges 10, 13 says, You have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. Go and hop in your little fake tanks. Go and go ahead and try to crank them up. See if your gods will save you. They will not. It's scary. You know, the night I came to Christ reading this passage, I wanted to, to get out of something. My life had been brought to, to a place where I understood I couldn't make it work for myself. And I wanted to get out of that misery. And I wanted to get out of hell through the blood of Jesus. But I, it wasn't just about getting out of something and getting in a category. I wanted to get into something. I wanted to get into real love, real forgiveness, real life. Real rest of my soul because of the, the grace of God and what Jesus has done that I will never have to do and that I can always rely on. I wanted to get into real truth. And I, and I wanted to make a real difference and, and end up in heaven as well. And I still feel that about God. But I'll tell you, my heart can be so, as we sung earlier, prone to wander at times. What about you? Uh, and I have tasted the bitter fruit of my own idolatry and the disappointment of things that can never and will never deliver the meaning they advertise. And unless we turn back to God or turn to God in the first place, it will end badly. Don got what he wanted wanted. Linda got just what she wanted. If you find you have lifted up your heart to others, never put your trust in Christ, you can do that. It's just a matter of trust, taking your trust off other gods and putting your trust in what Jesus has done. If you're a person that's walked with God, and, and I mean, this just kind of catches you square, you know, like the Word of God does. Isn't the Word of God great? And you say, man, that's where I am. Do you know you can cry out to the Lord? You can repent to God and he will just receive you on the basis of his grace and relationship with open arms. You can cry out to God today and I want to end with verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love for they are from of old. Remember not my sins of my youth, my rebellious ways, but according to your love, Remember me, for you are good, O Lord. You know, you can say that today, and God will remember. David says, remember me, God, according to your love. But you know, Jesus said something different. Jesus said, not I remember you. Remember me. Remember me this morning, what I've done for you. That's the meaning of this table. God is saying in the midst of our idolatries, in the midst of his call and the beauty of worship and walking according to the grace and truth of God, he is saying, I remember you. Remember me. And may the Lord refresh the worship and the walk that is just out of that love for him.
Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would reestablish yourself in that highest place in our hearts. You are worthy in heaven right now. The angelic beings, angels and archangels and all those who have gone before us are singing that you alone are worthy. You are holy, holy, holy. And we are forgiven, forgiven, forgiven through the blood of Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would remember us even as we turn from our idolatry and have the privilege yet again to remember you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.